the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon, Northern California. Welcome. Just about five minutes after the hour, 5 p.m., as we welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. Keeping you company Monday through Friday at this time, as we typically do, addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. Prayer indeed does change things, as my next guest has found out. He is Dr. David Levy. He practices neurosurgery in Southern California. His articles have been widely published in a variety of neurosurgical journals, and he's an accomplished speaker and a co-author of a brand new book entitled Gray Matter. A neurosurgeon discovers the power of prayer one patient at a time. And Dr. Levy, thanks so much for taking time to be with us on the program this evening. It's good to be with you, Craig. Uh, I found your, your book and your observations on the power of prayer very encouraging, particularly in a day and age when there, there's so much being bandied about concerning what's happened with uh, health care in America. I got into an interesting discussion with a friend of mine who's involved in health care, and there have been some discussion about the fact that uh, more and more he's finding uh, both physicians and hospitals referring to the people that come through their doors as clients, to which I took umbrage and said, you know, uh, you may want to let your colleagues know that we patients don't prefer to be referred to as clients because it just seems to kind of reduce us down to nothing more than somebody who helps bring money. And while I understand this is an important part of what needs to be done to, you know, keep the lights on in the hospital and, and to pay, uh, you know, the folks that provide the services that they do to keep us all healthy. Nevertheless, it, it was encouraging to see the perspective that you share inside the pages of Gray Matter that there are some doctors out there who uh, who still want to have a good bedside manner and who, in fact, uh, don't see us as clients, but rather as patients. That's absolutely right, Craig. Yeah, there are uh, quite a number of doctors, I think, that that really got into medicine because they care and they want to see uh, not just uh, uh, the patient necessarily physically get better, although that is our our goal. That's what we are doing this for. But we also want to see all aspects of health. The physical is just one aspect. There's emotional, relational, and spiritual health. And we want to address all of those. We want to see the patient as a whole person. Has your profession sort of succumbed to much of what we've seen in the scientific community in the, in the last hundred years, say, uh, and that is those that would insist that there needs to be a brick wall as much as we've seen a brick wall between science and so-called religion or science and God? Has there been a trend toward that as well within the medical profession where, you know, it's okay if a patient wants to believe in God, but once they enter into the doctor's office, the hospital, the surgery room, uh, we need to leave God outside and never blend the two. You know, that is that is how I was trained, honestly. And um, I, I am ashamed to admit there was a time in my career where I 
um, I just thought the patients were sort of wasting their time, wasting my time, um, because I believe the surgeon's motto, you know, heal with steel, or, you know, when in doubt, cut it out. And some of those uh, <laughs> uh, things uh, we use to just, uh, it, it, it's, it, it's not all... Uh, for the patient, we we have our own agendas that, that it, uh, as we move into medicine. Is there some tendency to maybe, uh, and I know the, the, the effort and work that needs to go into studying and preparing to become a successful surgeon of any level, certainly at your level, dealing with you know surgery on the brain, neurosurgeon uh, is not a casual profession by any means. Is there a sense maybe? Within some within the medical community, that you know, why do we want to enter into praying for a patient or praying with a patient prior to a procedure? I'm the doctor. I'm in charge. I'm handling this. Almost sounding as if, at a level, maybe while not uh, openly recognized, almost a subconscious sense of, well, I'm not going to bring God into this equation because in my operating room, I am God. You know, that is that is. Um, I think very correct. Unfortunately, that is how I saw it as well. I, I, I admit that in the book that I, I really didn't want to bring God in because it, it did sort of make things complicated. I, I wanted to, I wanted to, to take the credit for the surgery and things like that. I mean, it is a tremendous amount of time you spend learning these highly technical skills, and so you actually would like credit for those. And um, and so to, to pray or to have someone think it was their prayer that did it instead of you, at some level that's potentially offensive. But, you know, for myself, I realized, you know, after I'd done a technically perfect 11-hour surgery and the patient, you know, died the next day of a blood clot, I, 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 that was one of the things that woke me up to say, wow, I can do perfect surgery, but I don't control the outcome. Mm. And so I think we, we, you know, and if we're honest, then we start looking for, well, well, well what else is it? Well, what's happening here? Well, what about uh, the spiritual aspect of, of this case? Because something's happening. Uh, I did everything right, but, um, but I didn't get the outcome I wanted. Yeah, there, there, there's that having the, to kind of succumb to the realization that there's something bigger than me behind all of this. And your story is an interesting one because you, as you detail inside the pages of Gray Matter, struggled with this idea of to pray or not to pray and what that would mean and kind of going back and forth. And then, you know, a, a wonderful, almost serendipitous chapter out of the book entitled Physician Heal Thyself. You go in one day to your own dentist. Yeah. <laughs> tell us, tell us what happened when when that light came on. Well, I'm sitting in the dentist chair, and um, my dentist. I needed to have a filling replaced. He draws up his syringe full of Novocaine, and you know, I, Craig, I've spent a long time in training so that I could. Uh, but I didn't have to be on the receiving end of those needles. So you're a neurosurgeon. I mean, come on. This is this is a minor little dental procedure here, you wimp. Yes, but as, when it comes to injections, remember, it's more blessed to give than to receive. <laughs> <laughs> so I tense up, and my friend sees me. You know, he's trying to hide that needle down below the chair. You know how sure, they Sure, yeah. <laughs> Not quite notice it, yeah. <laughs> so I'm tensing up, and uh, he puts his hand on my shoulder, and he just says a short prayer. He said, you know, God, guide my hands, uh, you know, bless David, something like that. And then I felt this peace come over me. It was, it was, 
just an unusual, I mean, the needle stick still hurt a bit, but it wasn't the same level of apprehension. It wasn't the same anxiety level. And on my way home that day, I said, you know, I really should be praying for my patients. I really feel like the Lord was speaking to me uh, as I went home. And interesting how your dentist didn't say, now, come on, David, you're a trained, experienced physician. You deal with surgeries significantly more, uh, you know, uh, dangerous and, and risky than this on an every single day. Be a man about it. He could have said any of those things. Yeah. But instead of doing that, he chose to do something very, very different. He, he, he recognized, number one, his own need for God and the role that the Lord plays in this process, which ironically, as you point out, suddenly gave you a greater sense of, of comfort. Exactly, exactly. And, and, and so when I went to, to I, I basically said, well, wow, that, you know, that's, as good as Valium. I mean, I should be giving people this. You know, why, why am I not at least asking them? Not pushing it on them, but I think it's also very important to, you know, to ask. But I tell you what, that first time I decided to pray, I was terrified. I walked up the stairs. My heart was pounding. Uh, and, of course, my busy preoperative area in the hospital was much busier than this dentist's office where it was just, just he and I. There wasn't even a, a hygienist at that point. And... Um, so I decide to pray with my patient of the day, and I walk up to her bed, and everything seems fine. She's got her two daughters there, but there's a nurse. There's a nurse, and there's no way I'm going to pray in front of a nurse. I mean, this, this I've decided, has got to be a top-secret situation. I don't want anyone to see me actually offer to pray with someone unless they think I'm, you know, one of those nuts or something. Of course, you're senior medical staff. You could have just kicked her out of the room. <laughs> I, I do right, but I was I was trying to be sort of very smooth about everything uh, while I'm introducing prayer for the first time, and so I'm trying to outlast her, and I'm waiting, and finally I you know say okay, I'll have to pray another day, and I, I back up to the nurses' station. Uh, I didn't leave. I decided, you know what, I'm not going to give up. Maybe if I wait a few minutes, and so. You know how we do. We pretend to. I've got a page, and I pretended to be on the telephone. You know, <laughs> <laughs> so I wouldn't look too suspicious. It's, I mean, honestly, Craig, it was as if I were going to, you know, casing her room like I was going to commit a crime or something. I'm just sort of looking you know, like I was going to steal the woman's purse. I'm just waiting for the nurse to leave. Finally, finally, she leaves, and I I scurry up, and just before I get to the bed, here comes the anesthesiologist. I turned right back around. <laughs> there was no way I was going to pray in front of another doctor. And and so I waited a little longer. Finally, they left, and I went up to her bedside. And before anyone else could come, and I said, uh, Mrs. Jones, you know, would you mind if, if I said a prayer with you for your surgery? And she looked at her daughters, and they looked at her and shrugged their shoulders and said, fine. So I... Um, I, put, I, I was thinking about putting my hand on her shoulder, but neurosurgeons are not very touchy-feely. We, we generally don't touch people unless they're under general anesthesia. They, uh, they have a covered with that blue drape, and then we, we use a scalpel. So, uh, but, I, but that's what had been done to me. This, my dentist friend had put his hand on my shoulder, and so I put my hand on her shoulder, and I said... Uh, her daughters moved in, they bowed their heads, and I just said, uh, God, thank you for Mrs. Jones. 
you made the vessels in her brain and you can help me to fix them. And I just ask for skill and for wisdom in this case and for success. In Jesus' name, amen. I looked up. She was weeping. She's wiping tears from her eyes. Her two daughters are, are wiping tears away from their eyes. I'm, I'm thinking, you know, what, what have I done? You know, what, what, what is this power? And, you know, so I did what any surgeon would do at that point. I patted her on the arm, and I left it for the nurse to deal with. <laughs> <laughs> and here she came with her Kleenexes, handing them out. And I hit the automatic door button and opened those doors and, and went off uh, to my surgery, which, uh, honestly, I had more joy in that surgery than I have ever had in my practice before. Because I, the, the patient's... Looked to me as if I'm God, but for the first time in my life, I had said, look, I'm not God. I'm very good at what I do, but I'm not God. But I would be willing to talk to him with you if that's what you'd like. Well, and the amazing thing about all of this, too, is that sense that, you know, as much as we as the uh, patients uh, want to know that you know what you're doing, we also want to know that you care. And that's one of the real keys here. If you've just joined our conversation, Dr. David Levy is with us tonight. We're talking about his new book, The Experience of a Neurosurgeon Discovering the Power of Prayer, One Patient at a Time, the new book called Gray Matter. A brief time out, back with some closing thoughts from Dr. Levy as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. And back to our conversation. Dr. David Levy with us tonight. A look at gray matter. A neurosurgeon discovers the power of prayer one patient at a time. As you develop the, the faith, the strength, the willingness to kind of take the risk, I guess we'd call a doctor, and, and begin praying for your patients, what kind of a change have you seen come over, not just your practice, but your own personal relationship with God? Well, Craig, I think that, uh, that so many of us are burned out on medicine, and uh, I think it's, uh, I believe it's partially due to the fact that, well, we are to give glory to God, and I think so much of medicine is designed around getting glory for the physician, getting the referrals for the physician, and I certainly uh, have been guilty of that for many years, and so there's something about, um, as as we give glory to God, there, it, there is a change that occurs in me. I, I, you know, just somehow the medicine takes on a different flavor. Um, you know, I can give you an example of a, uh, a patient named Ron who came in with uh, a problem in his in the brain he had a, a, a number of other problems he was only 40 years old and he had um, arthritis in his neck and his back and so I I began to ask him about um, his emotional health and I asked him something for the first time I'd never asked a patient this before I said uh, Ron is there someone that you can't forgive the Faith, he's this enormous man. He's this uh, marine, risk, and an enormous guy. So he sort of looked at me with this, you know, very bold face. And I'm on one of those little rolling stools, and so I'm starting to roll away from him, <laughs> rolling back to the wall. And finally, he said, "My mother." And I said, "Excuse me." I thought, you know, maybe his drill sergeant or his father. And he said, "No, my mother." And I said, well, well Ron, what, what happened? And he said, well, my dad left when I was young, but my uh, my mom, you know, shacked up with a number of different guys, and they would drink, and they would uh, they would get in fights with her. And I got between uh, one of these men and my mother, and I got knocked down the stairs. And I, 
I stood up and I said, come on, Mom, let's get out of here. She said, no, I'm not leaving. And I've hated her. He said, I've hated her since that time. And I've, um, and 30, that was 30 years ago. And so I said, wow, Ron, that's, that's what I'm looking for. But I'm going to ask you to do something really courageous. I'm going to ask you to forgive her. I said, uh, you know, I want to help you. Would you be willing to do that? So he he paused for a few moments and then said, okay, yeah, I've, I've, I've hung on to this long enough. And so, you know, I led him through a, a prayer, a declaration of forgiveness um, for his mother and for this guy who uh, knocked him down the stairs. And, and then I said, Ron, um, very... You've forgiven. Is there anything that you need to be forgiven for? And he said, yeah. And so he, um, I said, well, who, who forgives sins? And he said, Jesus does. And so he, he began to confess his, you know, his sins. Because, you know, when, when people hurt us, we generally hurt others. That's just the way it happens. And so this man, you know, walked out of my office, you know, like a foot off the ground. He, he felt just emotionally and physically so much better. He he still had to have the surgery, and the surgery went well. But even six months later, he was still joyful because I had taken the time. Let's get out of here. Now, the interesting thing, when he when he stood up uh, after I finished uh, the office visit, he said, uh, he said, I feel like calling my mother. And he hadn't talked to her in 30 years. And so he, he, they had a family reunion. I mean, you know, that little um, conversation had an incredible ripple effect through that whole family because his mother had started going back to church in New York and he flew back there and other members of the family were getting together and and, and I think as physicians or even as friends um, you know we can we can help each other forgive I mean if you listen to a friend or a colleague complain about their you know their ex or their boss or something uh, and you've heard it a number of times say hey I've heard that enough Let, let's forgive uh, let's let's get this. This is not good for you. This is not good for your health. And so I, I really emphasize in the book the uh, the health benefits of forgiveness. Certainly, it, it's had not only an impact on your practice, but your own personal life too. Mm. It, it has. Yes, I, I've I've certainly um, obviously I have to practice what I preach. So I. I um, uh, you know, I have to forgive. I have to, um, you know, actually have to make time in my schedule, usually lunch hour, to to spend talking with patients because oftentimes an office visit is not enough time. And so I, there's nothing I'd enjoy more than spending my lunch hour talking about a patient's spiritual concerns. It's it's a it's just a beautiful time of my day. Um, and so, yeah, my, my life has changed, and I think, I think for the better. Well, we certainly appreciate you sharing with us tonight, Doctor. I mean, it, it just, just goes so nicely hand in glove with the topic we had in hour number one this evening of the importance of the church getting involved and impacting the world around us. And what easier, better place to start than to begin incorporating the power of prayer, not just in our lives privately, but also publicly as well, as Dr. Levy has done in his own practice. The book Gray Matter, a neuro surgeon discovers the power of prayer one patient at a time. The book published by Tyndale House and available at Christian bookstores throughout the Bay Area as, as well as through Amazon.com and uh, once again our thanks to its author, our guest today, Dr. David Levy. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. 
Well, as by now, you're no doubt well aware, U.S. stocks closed out 2022 much lower, capping a year of sharp losses driven by aggressive interest rate hikes to curb inflation, recessionary fears, and of course, the ongoing Russia-Ukraine war, along with rising concerns over the impact of COVID, particularly in cases like China. Wall Street's three men indices booked their first yearly drop since 2018 as an era of loose monetary policy came to a screeching halt. The Fed's fastest pace of rate hikes seen since the 1980s. The benchmark S&P 500 shedding almost 19% marking roughly an $8 trillion decline in market cap. Meanwhile, the tech-heavy Nasdaq down 33%, while the Dow Jones Industrial Average had fallen almost 9%. The annual percentage declines for all three indices were the biggest we've seen since the 2008 financial crisis, largely driven by a rout in growth shares as concerns over the Fed's rapid rate increases boost U.S. Treasury yields. Additionally, many of the economic indicators pointing to recession political tensions along with the Ukraine war also added to a sense of uncertainty. With a look not only at the year that was, but most importantly, the year ahead, we're joined by the principal of Compact Asset Management, the host of Market Wrap, heard each Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. on KDOW. Always a delight and an education to have join us, Mo Ansari. Mo, welcome and a slightly belated Happy New Year to you. Well, thank you so much for inviting me to the broadcast today. It's always a pleasure. It's, uh, as I indicated, been a, been a kind of a rough year for shareholders, and I guess particularly for those that either weren't paying any attention, didn't have a strategy in place, or were perilously close to or already in retirement. Um, 2022 is not going to be a year very fondly remembered. That is correct, Greg. It was one of those tough years that uh, the markets we occasionally go through. And that's, as I always say, nothing goes up in a straight line. We've had a number of wonderful years in the market. 2021 was a banner year. 2020 was rocky, but still came up positive. So, you know, over the years, in the last seven, eight years, we've accumulated a lot of wealth in these in our stock accounts then there are years like last year where you have to be cautious you have to have the right allocations so that's i call what i call those as shock absorbers that you have built into your portfolio so the market was down 19 you go gave up 10 or 12 probably by this time of the year you back most of the game what you gave up last year you've gained it back if you had the right allocation, if you had Bitcoin and the cryptos, <laughs> then you had a problem. That's uh, that's unfortunately what happens at market tops. People get overly aggressive. And of course, I guess a lot of it really sort of turns and centers on what you've sort of alluded to, and that is the notion of your appetite for risk. And obviously, those particular financial vehicles that may promise the greatest reward also are almost exclusively attended to by the greatest degree of risk. Overall, I wonder, though, as you kind of analyze what we have been through, not only nationally, but globally, um, since sort of the impact of COVID in 2020, is it fair to say, in your opinion, Mo, that in spite of all of this and all of the, the economic challenges, the health challenges, the, the geopolitical related challenges as well, that the markets have proven themselves to be remarkably resilient in spite of all of these events? I would definitely agree with you on that particular topic. I'm always 
uh, glass half full sort of guy. That's what I've always looked at. And then there are the panicnistas out there, as I call them, which are always saying, look, the world is ending. It's going to end at midnight, but make sure you tune in tomorrow so we'll tell you what happened. But uh, I, you know, I'm always looking at the markets and we go through, there's no straight line. There, there will be ups and downs, just like life. It's it's not a straight line. There are ups and downs in life, and uh, that's what the market is all about. But you have to believe in American capitalism. You have to believe in American companies. And anybody who's shorted or gone short America or gone short American capitalism has ended on the short end of the stick. And people call me and say, Mo, the dollar is crashing. I said, well, what would you like? Some Bitcoin instead? Or what would you like to have? They go, oh, no, I think I'll keep my dollar. So, uh, yeah, we do go through these ups and downs. But overall, the markets have held up very, very well. And we have a new paradigm. We have a new paradigm shift with the liquidity coming out of the system instead of coming in the system. You've been doing this for many, many years, and you've sat undoubtedly with thousands of clients down through the years who have walked into your office or called you uh, hands-wringing, concerned about what happened on Wall Street yesterday, last week, um, worried about the, the future of their uh, their financial plans. And I have to wonder, as, as you sort of look at the big scheme of thing of all of the years that you have been involved in market uh, money management rather and market analysis what's the, the the bigger enemy here the historic performance of the dow or the nasdaq or the inappropriate emotional response to same there's only two things that i try to tell people that will hurt them in these markets one is fear and one is greed mm-hmm. if you have either one of those emotions when they take over watch out that will be a disaster for your financial future. Uh, again, when markets are going down, people get fearful. When the markets go up, they get euphoric. What I try to tell them is make sure you keep your balance. And it is not easy to do, as you know, because when it comes to money, it is a very, very emotional subject. What I try to tell people is, first of all, let's find the correct emotional balance in your portfolio. Forget about the financial risk that you can take. How much emotional risk can you handle? And we call that uh, your risk number. It's like a speed limit. It's going on the freeway. And if you think you're going 30, but you're going 90, on the first curve that comes, you go off the cliff. So you have to know what speed your portfolio is going at and make sure that speed matches your emotional risk. And that's the first thing that we do. Then we have, you know, a team that has 100 years of experience in the markets that works with our clients. Uh, We have a professor of finance that teaches at the University of California, the MBA class for wealth management. He's my brother, but he he does that for fun, and he's worked with me for 20 years. Those, uh, that's the kind of uh, team that we bring, expertise we bring to the clients, and then develop a roadmap to get them not where they are today, not worry about tomorrow, but where they will be when they retire. And to maintain their lifestyle and to get them to their financial destination. Does that suggest that there needs to be, uh, what should we call it, a, a strategy in place? And I ask that question because, you know, I, th- I think the average Joe on the street, where we had open the phone lines in this conversation right now and just take a, a, a general anonymous survey, most people, I think, would simplistically say, look, I've got X number of dollars in my nest egg today, and when I retire in 10, 20, 30 years, I'd like to have X number of dollars 
dollars. It's a very simplistic approach. They know that in the end, they want more. <laughs> But well, everybody the, wants to be Elon Musk, but they can't be Elon Musk. Exactly. Okay. So we have to settle for something <laughs> in between. But but getting to that in between is not something that can be um, casually approached, can it? In other words, we've all seen times on Wall Street when, my goodness, it just seemed like month after month after month, like, like real estate in Los Angeles or the San Francisco Bay Area, you couldn't buy a house that was a loser. They constantly went up. It was almost throw a dart at a name on the wall and uh, invest a few bucks and you made money. Uh, that, that seems to be, though, a very simplistic approach. So I'm wondering, from, from an overall strategic approach, what do people really need to keep in mind when it comes to taking that nest egg and investing it in such a way that it will get them to and through retirement? That's what I call gold-based investing. What are you trying to accomplish? That's the first thing we ask people. Besides, everybody wants to get rich. That's great. But what is your end goal? What do you want to really have? Do you want to maintain your lifestyle that you have? Do you want to transfer a lot of money to your kids? Do you want to sell your business, transfer your business, etc.? So then we develop a plan, and that is where we bring in somebody who's got 10, 15, 20 years of experience from our financial planning division, where a financial planner sits down, develops that roadmap for you. First, the investment team figures out how much risk and all of that. Then we want to have a roadmap to get you from where you are now to where you want to be financially. And then we check that and make sure we're on the right trajectory every single year that you are going in the right direction. And that's the most important part. People get so distracted by this or that and they get pulled in by, oh my God, but go ahead and uh, buy this because we are going to save you or buy gold or whatever it may be. Unfortunately, having the right plan and being able to stick and, and de uh, deliver on it, is it's easier said than done, but that's what you have to do. And that's why we have for the financial planners, that work with every single client, somebody who's got 10, 15, 20 years of experience. We've got the asset management team that combines nearly 100 years of experience in the markets. And then we have a relationship manager that again has 10, 15, 20 years of experience. And then we tell the people, look, if you become a client of Compaq, we'll give you a free trial for a year. If you're not happy for any reason for what we have done over the year, just call us and we will give back all the fees that we've charged you, no questions asked. That's how simply we try to tell people. There's very few people in our business who ever put their money where their mouth is. They'll tell you all the great things, but if you ask them to risk some of their own commissions or fees, they'll never do that. We say, look, try us out, see what we do for a year, and let us develop your financial plan. Let us do the asset allocation. And you're not happy. You don't even have to give us a reason. We'll refund all the fees. As you are perhaps uh, pondering your own financial future, reviewing where things are, and, and most importantly, perhaps trying to get a better handle on where you need to be to enjoy a comfortable retirement for yourself, maybe it's time for you to take advantage of a very special seminar coming to the San Francisco Bay Area. Mo is going to be hosting it. It's the 2023 Market Outlook Seminar with Mo Ansari. That'll be Wednesday, February the 22nd, starting at 1130 a.m. in San Jose. 
Rosé. It'll be a fun early afternoon of food and finance, and um, there's never, of course, any cost or obligation. But because seating is limited, you do need to register now. During the seminar, Mo will provide detailed analysis and some insights regarding everything from the current state of inflation to interest rates, market volatility, stock market evaluation, and the outlook for the balance of 2023. He'll also talk about recession possibilities and an overall glimpse at global economic conditions and ultimately what compact asset management can do for you. Again, the date will be Wednesday, February the 22nd at 11.30 a.m. And to get details and register online, simply go to compact.com. That's C-O-M-P-A-Q dot com. Click on the seminar tab and you can register easily online. Again, no cost or obligation, but because seating is limited, do register today. Go to C-O-M-P-A-K. That's compact.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We're speaking today with Mo Ansari. Mo, of course, is the principal of Compact Asset Management and the host of Market Wrap, heard each Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. on KDOW. Mo, in the previous segment, you, you made a bit of a reference to uh, cryptocurrency. And, of course, we know that uh, such matters have been very heavily in the news any surprise when you look at all of these events? And we know that, of course, there's lawsuits taking place. Security Exchange Commission is involved. Congress is investigating. I long from the very beginning wondered uh, at what point would governments, be it our own or others, begin to seriously step in and say, you know, th- this is a kind of a quagmire, obscure arena of finance that is totally unregulated, and I'm sure to the frustration of organizations like the IRS, further out of their control than they would like. Is there ever a time when a serious investor with an eye on retirement should be considering putting their toe into so-called cryptocurrency or it just, does it remain just too, 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 too murky and too um, potentially risky? I think it's it's what I call people call me up and say, Mo, my friend bought crypto and they're doing so well and so on. I only buy companies that are good cash flows, that are solid companies that are going to be. But on the other hand, I say, look, if you want to take some money, which I call your Vegas money, and you want to put it into something like crypto or whatever, take a small, tiny portion and you can do it just, just for fun. Because it's not an investment. It's gambling. That's what you're doing. And if you want to do, take a little gamble with a half a percent or a quarter percent or something like that, it's fine. It's entertainment money rather than investing. That's the way I look at it. Same thing I told people 20 years ago when they're buying the dot-coms. And I said, look, there will be companies that are going to change the world, like the Googles and the Microsofts and the Amazons. But you did not know 30 years ago which ones they were going to be. And there were thousands of other ones that everybody was buying. There will be companies that will come out of crypto that might make sense in the future, especially blockchain companies or the technology behind Bitcoin and all of these. So, But we will wait until we see companies that are out there that are making a profit, turning cash flow, that we can see that we've got audited returns, that we can see the results, and then you can buy them at that point as an investment. But right now, 
it's a gamble. Yeah, and I like the way you put it. If you if you approach it with the same idea as you would taking some cash out of the bank to head to Reno or Las Vegas, uh, <laughs> understanding that you might come home having hit the jackpot or you might come home with empty pockets and that's a level of money that you're okay doing that with, then knock yourself out. But to pick up the phone and call uh, your, uh, your manager of your 401k and say, cash me out, I've just got this great deal on the latest Dogecoin, probably... <laughs> <laughs> not a good idea. Exactly. Let's talk about another arena of the market that I, I certainly is of particular interest to folks here in Northern California. And I know you're going to be touching on some of this during your Market Outlook Seminar for 2023. Again, that's coming up on Wednesday, February the 22nd at 1130 a.m. in San Jose. No cost or obligation, by the way. And to participate, you just simply need to register online because seating is limited. Go to compact.com. That's C-O-M-P-A-K dot com and click on the seminar tab. Again, Mo, here with us Wednesday, February the 22nd, 1130 a.m. in San Jose. Details and reservations, no obligation, online at compact.com. Look for the seminars tab. But I'm curious, one arena, certainly post.com boom, has been high techs. You look at what happened with the routing at the end of 2022. My goodness, the, the tech-heavy NASDAQ down 33%, much of that represented by the pain being experienced by many of the FANG stocks, the Facebooks, the, the Googles, the Apples, etc., etc. It, it has been such a key component for many investors to rely so heavily upon tech stocks to give the greatest degree of buoyancy to their investments over the last uh, nine, eight, ten years. Uh, going forward, do you get a sense that there will be some recuperation? Is this a necessary correction we're seeing right now? Does it does it suggest something more ominous? What are your thoughts? I think as far as technology is concerned, a lot of these companies grew astronomically during COVID. They just hired a lot more people. Demand was tremendous. And we saw that spike in their valuations and in what they were doing and demand for their products. But now as we normalize the world, we come out of COVID, I think their demand for some of their products is going down and it'll take a while to normalize and that's what we're going to. I still think we'll need uh, Google. We'll use Google. I think we still use Amazon on a daily basis. We use Microsoft. And so those companies and Apple phones, if we lose our phone for two minutes, uh, we have to run down or if we break it, we have to come run down and get a new one instantly because we can't live without them. It's become a utility, a necessity rather than a luxury. So I think these companies are going to do well, but interest rates, which had been very, very low, and they were being priced for growth. Now with the interest rates going up, and I believe they're going to stay up for a period of time, they're not going to come down as quickly as everybody thinks. We have to revalue their growth, their their growth, and how much return we can, what we are paying for their growth. So I think they are going to not be the companies, they will still do well, but not as well as they've done over the last 10 years because the money, liquidity, uh, is not going to come from the Fed, and that is going to hurt uh, or discount their growth more. 
than what we otherwise would. Some have said that the feds have tightened the screws way too much. Others have suggested that they've done it way too late. What, what, what is your thought? Are, are we more back to a sense of normalcy when we look at these current interest rates? I think we are normalizing them again. And, you know, 0% interest rates were not reality. I think we, we went overboard. They were late. In uh, starting to raise rates in 21, they did not do that. They kept on calling inflation transitory while we had put in five, six trillion dollars into, into the economy. That was a tremendous amount of money. It did cause inflation. And now they're trying to reverse that and raise interest rates, which they did at the fastest rate since 1980. So now I think we'll see a normal rate, uh, somewhere around four or five percent. They've said the target is five for the Fed fund rate which I think they are going to get to with another interest rate increase in March. But what happens after that is what the market is trying to figure out. And I think the Fed itself does not know. It will depend on the growth, how much the economy slows, if it slows or not. Everybody has been looking for a recession. And then we got the unemployment numbers last Friday with 517,000 jobs created. So the economy is not going into recession, it's booming. So people are trying to figure that out. And I think it'll take some time before we see the impact of the interest rate increases that the Fed did last year and how much the economy slows, how much does unemployment go up, and then the Fed will gauge if they need to raise rates more or not. So not only are the money experts trying to kind of figure out where all of this is headed, the Fed as well, and perhaps you individually, as you look at your day-to-day income, your expenditures, the work that you're doing and setting up money heading toward retirement, are you on track? And, and how do you learn to sort of navigate through these new at times, uncertain waters. Well, much of that's going to be the focus of this special seminar we mentioned coming up on Wednesday, February the 22nd. It'll be at 11 a.m. in San Jose. No cost or obligation, but because seating is limited, you do need to register in advance. Go to compact.com. Look for the seminar tab. That's C-O-M-P-A-K.com. Look for the seminar tab to register easily online. Spend a quick moment, if you would, Mo, and kind of walk us through the highlights of what folks can expect to experience during this special seminar on Wednesday, February the 22nd. Well, first of all, I want to really tell them how to find the right risk number for their portfolio. What is the right amount of degree of risk for them? How to find it? And each one of us are different. We have a different emotional makeup, different financial makeup, different uh, different part of life that we're in. And we're different, you know, we might be older, younger, and so on. So that's the first thing that I'm going to show them. Then I'm going to talk about my experience, what I've seen has worked over the years, what I've seen that has really created wealth how do you create wealth for yourself and then once you get to that point what do you do with it there's so many people who i talk to say oh i just want to have more money and i say why and i don't sometimes they have to really think about that and that's what really we want to we want to get people give them the freedom they have enough money to get to the point where they can do the things they want to do money is only a tool to be used to get to where you want to go whatever gives you happiness, whatever it may be. And that's some of the things that I talk about. I'll talk about the market, where I think it's headed, where interest rates are headed, where what I think about the technology, but really more about the building blocks. How do you put those in place to create wealth 
and build your own financial future. Mo Ansari with a look at 2023's market outlook. The seminar again Wednesday, February the 22nd. It begins at 11.30 a.m. in San Jose. It'll be a fun early afternoon of food and finance, but to attend, you do need to register because seating is limited. Go to compact.com. That's C-O-M-P-A-K.com. Compact.com and click on the seminar tab to register for this upcoming seminar with Mo Ansari. Mo, always a delight spending some time with you. We appreciate your time today and look forward to your visit to the Bay Area. Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.